0: Hi everybody, welcome to the
1: Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil.
0: And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question: if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know?
1: All right, hey everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. We're excited today because we've got another I I don't know how we do this, I guess, except for like I I have some kind of like gift that we nab like guests that are way above our pay grade. So we're really excited today to have um, Robert, with us from Affinis Humanity. Robert, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know Robert from I think the first time I heard you on Graceful Atheist was the first yeah. time I heard you that podcast.
0: And Phil and I I don't I don't know if you remember, but we texted afterwards. We were like, "Did you hear this guy?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> I was like, right. I mean,
0: you follow his TikTok?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's how we heard you, and I was like blown away. I was like, "Oh yeah, man, me too." This guy's freaking awesome. Like uh, that was probably what a year. I or think that was like so a year ago, that ago you were
2: on there. Uh, yeah, about a, about a year ago, and yeah, David is great. David, David's yeah. a good
1: guy. Yeah, it's a great, a great podcast. We love the stories that he has on there, and and then we sometimes like he gets a guest, and then we're like. Ooh, I, we'll need that guy. I want to talk back to that person, too. <laughs> so, hey, that's
2: what you got to do. Hey, yeah, that's what so, you got to do. You know?
1: So we'll try not to replicate that conversation. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your faith background, and then we'll get into your organization and what you've got going on out there in Arizona. So.
2: Oh, OK. Yeah, well, um, my name is Robert Peoples. I'm from uh, Fitness Humanity Coalition, uh, originally from New Jersey, uh, residing here in Arizona now. I have a have a BA um, in industrial psychology. Um, as far as my childhood rearing and kind of what you know uh, catapulted me to a more humanistic, atheistic bent. Well, I'll tell you this: I grew up as Baptist, and I loved it. Right? I, I don't I <laughs> have I don't have like horror stories. Like a lot of people do. Yeah. Right. I played baseball. played literally. I played baseball all through college. I was a pitcher. So a lot of the baseball teams were interconnected with the churches there out there in New Jersey. Um, So I loved it. I'm glad my mother was kind of open because I was always very inquisitive. And I had a cousin who was like the first genius that I ever met. <laughs> um and uh literally like his his teachers were like you need to apply to be an academic society you know and it was kind of really cool he was like so smart and he says rob you got a lot of questions man you know i want to give you a book i know you're young i was 13 at the time and the book he gave me was the age of reason by thomas Paine at 13 years old hello some <laughs> some nice light reading
0: yeah yeah real <laughs> that's some reading, hard stuff know? that's hard yes and i got
2: through it and from there, my mom was open. Even though she was a Christian, I said, hey, mom, you know, I want to explore different other religions, right? I want to learn about Islam. Well, my mother used to work with some Muslim doctors and she said, well, there's a mosque in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, do you want to go with them? Sure. Did prayer, salat in Arabic, and the whole nine for two years. After that, I said, I really dig Buddhism. I want to really learn about Buddhism. Then went to a Buddhist temple for about a year. By the time I was about 19, I said, I got it. I kind of understand the whole Christian thing. I understand the Islamic thing. I understand. I I really love, I really dig Buddhism, by the way. I mean, it's atheistic in nature anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And I really dig Buddhism. But I said, I'm good. Uh, My atheism and humanism is secure. (laughs) And I was glad that I was exposed because, you know, I'm not someone who just grew up in a secular household and I don't know anything about religion or why people believe in what they do or the emotional connections that they have. I've been through it my entire family. I grew up in it. I'm kind of glad that my mother was open enough to allow me to express myself, to be inquisitive. I appreciated that. And it really put me on the trajectory that I am now. But it wasn't for that book. Oh, if it wasn't for that book.
0: Um, how did your mom take it after all this? She gave you the freedom to question and learn about other religions. And then you come back and you're like, well, I don't believe any of it. How did she take that?
2: Oh, it backfired. Yeah. She was angry. You know, um, she was very angry. Um, you know, she would say, you know, you, you know, you knew, you know, you grew up in the church. You, you know, God, Robert, how can you do this? You want to turn your back on the Lord, you know? And I said, well, mom, you, you taught me to be a thinker. And uh, I'm just on a different uh, path than you right now. Mm -hmm. The rest of the family really didn't care too much, but really my mother did. And, but over the years, she got over it.
0: Was your genius cousin an atheist? Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, (laughs) Oh, yes. Before you got the age of reason and all that, were you like fully invested in Christianity? Like, would you, did you pray the magic prayer when you were four years old? And like, you would say you were in at that point. Or were you kind of just like going along for the ride?
2: I think it was the latter. Thinking back, I wasn't totally sold, even though I went to Sunday school and I got kicked out of Sunday school like two times because (laughs) I I would ask a, a lot of questions. What really got me maybe about the age of 10 was the whole story of Abraham and Isaac, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, this father is about to... Slit his son's throat because his God wants to show, prove that he has, that Abraham has loyalty to him. Like, what? Right. What kind of narcissistic monster is this? And that just kind of, you know, that just shook me a little bit. And then my mother would say, I wish that I could have uh, a faith like Abraham. Mm. I yearn to have a faith. And I've heard other people in the church like, I yearn to have that faith. I want my faith to be so strong that I'll be willing to commit an abominable act. And I'm like oh man, I think, I think uh, all the children should get together and call a uh, child protective <laughs> <Yes. therapists>. right. <laughs> right, Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah. It sounds real noble until you're the one that they're trying to carry up the mountain to put on the altar. Like, then you're like, exactly. Hey ma, let's, let's chill with the faith. Like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so that, that kind of had me straddling the fence since that age, you know? And yeah. then from there, we're just kind of, Just like I questioned a lot of things. And so I was kind of in it for the ride because I had to go. Right. I had to go to church. I was even baptized. I was like, okay. Yeah. I wasn't totally sold out to it. Not at all.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So then you decide to go to college from there Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming you went to a secular college. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, did you start out with I/O psychology because that's an interesting thing to land in because most people don't even know what that is. Like,
2: um, because like, like, like my my mom was always um pushing me. You know, she she wanted me to to, to to go corporate, right? She wanted me to to be this you know this corporate guy, you know. And I thought it was cool. I've always liked to talk to people. You know, if if, if businesses are kind of struggling and uh, their finances are not in order or they're they're trying to figure out why aren't we able to, you know, keep employees. You know, I mean, why do we have this high turnover rate Then an industrial psychologist to come in and say, OK, I'll give you an assessment, tell you what you need to do. And I just thought that was kind of cool. You know, yeah. I mean, it was a different branch of psychology that, you know, that I didn't even know of, you know. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of trying to follow my mother's expectations. Okay.
0: It's funny how you did that for her aspirations for your job, but not for your religion. <laughs>
2: no, no, because that's really I mean, you can always you can always change a job, you can always switch careers. Right. But I mean religion, that's I mean, that's a driving it's force more dogmatic. Oh man, and, and and most people unfortunately will never be able to shake the residuals of their indoctrination. They'll always have a struggle with it. Right. Now I was very adamant about about being the opposite of what my mom expected me to be, <laughs> religiously wise. Yes. Yeah. Do
0: you consider yourself lucky that you got out at 13?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have I have a friend now who actually um graduated um from Princeton Theological Seminary. And he came out as an atheist. Wow. And but this is what he told me. Now, this has been maybe four years now. And so this is what he told me about a couple months ago. He said, Rob, I know that hell isn't real. I know it's not. Intellectually, cognitively, I know it's not real. But do you know that there are some things that trigger me where I literally have a biological Mm -hmm. response? I get hives. I start to have anxiety. And that reminds me of the book, The Body Keeps Count.'" where we think that we forgot about the trauma but the body stores it and the body says uh-uh I'm going to let you know from time to time we're still here yeah and so yeah I am so fortunate that I got out of it like or started my deconstruction journey when I was 13 because I couldn't imagine me you know I'm in my late 40s now I couldn't imagine me doing it right now and and worrying about being ostracized from family and friends and going through that whole rigmarole, right? Um, I-, I couldn't imagine that, not not at this point in my life. So I'm very happy that I got out of it very early.
1: I think no matter like when it happens, there's definitely certain responses that you don't know that they're going to pop up until they do. And that's really true about a lot of that stuff being a trauma response. Like We see that a lot in a lot of the Facebook groups that we're in. You see people saying, I thought i was good with where i am in my deconstruction and then this happened and then now i'm on the floor you know and i'm like
0: (laughs) sobbing in the fetal position
1: and that's exactly right that idea of the body keeping the score is like yeah that's a real thing and and that's something that just is not taught in the church at all like there's no acknowledgement of trauma even in the traditional sense you don't if, if a kid is like sexually abused or something the church, you know, says, "Oh, well, you're just supposed to forgive and move on from that." There's no acknowledgement of the process that you need to actually heal from that emotionally and physically, and and all of that.
2: Absolutely, I mean, and and the church doesn't even, you know, uh, they don't really even convey, you know, the possibility that a lot of people who, and especially men, who incur physical abuse as a child, there's a a, a large percent that they actually become
1: predators mm-hmm. because of that abuse first right.
2: doesn't even recognize that
1: no they don't see that connection at all so then you landed you were doing something else before you started affinis right how did you come to start affinis humanity
2: i was doing i was selling clothing right i was into really heavy into fashion and um you know i wanted to create like a fashion line that promoted free thinking. And so uh, there's this kind of organization, it's called uh, RAW and it's for like a plethora of artists, you know, whether it's fashion or or, or what have you, modeling, um, singing, composing. And I came in third out of about like 90 artists. And I was like, wow, you know, this is a void that needs to be filled. And then from there, I met amazing people in LA. And after that, I just wanted something more. I was like, okay, the fashion is cool, but I really wanted to get into schools. I really want, especially high schools. That's what kind of sparked my interest in starting my nonprofit. And since then I've gone into like many high schools and I literally teach a humanistic approach to life. And you can imagine being in Arizona, you know, although sure, the main political positions are now blue, it's still very much a red state. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Very still conservative. Me getting into high schools, I never, not yet have ever received any fallout okay. from my humanistic approach. And um, it's I mean, because that's where it's at. You know, it's the it's the kids. And I mean, you know, psychologists say, you know, by the time you're about 16, 17 years old, you're. Year, you're, you're kind of almost like the person that you're going to be as an adult. Sure, you might get some more responsibilities and stuff, but you know, by the time you get to college and you start being exposed to philosophy and all that stuff, it's almost too late. Mm-hmm. You really have to teach kids like how to think and not what to think. Right. And so that's where the whole philosophy and humanism come, came in. And that's why I started my nonprofit.
0: So you're not going into schools and teaching them like, oh, God's not real and blah, blah, blah. Like oh. you're, you're teaching them like, Here's how you think. Here's how you know things. Do you teach them about epistemology?
2: I do. Okay. I do. I get it. I get into all of that. Yeah.
0: That's so important. Oh, yeah.
2: Teleology, ontology. Oh, I, I get into, I mean, because they, they need to know this. I mean, in other European countries, I mean, children are exposed to philosophy like in the sixth, fifth grade.
0: And they're less religious than the United States. Is that a coincidence?
2: I, I, exactly right. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a mandated part of curriculum. I mean, even in college. Yeah. Like you don't have to take philosophy, (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so it's very important, you know, and, and I think that's why in America, I think that's why it's not mandated because you can't have a a nation of children that can think for themselves. That's the detriment to the machine. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So tell us a little bit about like what a fitness does kind of explain what it is that you actually do and like what your goals are and, Oh, absolutely, and so um,
2: one of the things, uh, well, the major thing with with the fitness um, is DEI, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion, and DEI trainings, you know, around you know around the country, um, you know, it's always you know the um, the usual suspects, right? Um, it's always race, it's always gender and sexual orientation, but one thing. That is not spoken of is religious diversity, mm-hmm. or the lack thereof. And what I found out was that in you know in the court systems, one of the major things of litigation in courts in this country is about religious issues in the workplace, and people don't feel either heard. People feel that their beliefs are lack thereof; um, they're being discriminated against especially atheists, especially atheists in the workplace. What I do is now I go into corporations and I teach DEI from a philosophical aspect, from a religious aspect, instead of just, and combining them, right? Because, you know, Hey, the more religious you are, the greater the propensity for racism, Mm. the greater, you know, the more religious you are, the greater the propensity for homophobia, for xenophobia, for all of it, for misogyny, for sexism. There's a study called, um, and it's free, it's a PDF, it's called, Why Don't We Practice What We Preach? It's a meta-analytic study over 40 years. One of the professors is from ASU, Wendy Woods, and they concluded that, yes, you know, the greater... Um, the religiosity, the more homophobic, the more racist, the more sexist, the more uh, misogynistic that people become. And I just thought that it was a, should be a very important component of DEI training. And so that is the main core of a humanity.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up. Phil, that was the study I told you yeah. earlier I wanted to ask him about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember you had mentioned that study a while back, and I tried my hardest to find it, and I couldn't find it. So I'm happy that you brought it up. I wanted to ask you about oh, it. Oh,
2: I'll send it. I'll send it to you.
0: Yeah, please. So I had an experience a while back where my nephew was dedicated at Seventh Day Adventist Church, and part of the service was the pastor getting up in front of everybody, him knowing that my family was atheist, and saying that how do we know that Christianity is true because of the better moral fruits, and I'm sitting here like. But are they? Yeah. I mean, do they have better moral fruits? And like, that's not true. Like, it's not true at all. So could you talk up a little bit about how being religious or religiosity leads to kind of worse moral fruits? And of course, not for every single individual, but overall.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there, there's a study out of uh, Berkeley um, that basically states that children that are reared in secular households actually exude higher levels of empathy than religious kids do. My take on that is... You know, we're taught in religion that if you do something, if you wrong someone, you can just go into your closet, pray to God, and all is forgiven. But in a secular perspective, I can't afford to do that. I have to rectify the wrong with you. I have to make amends, right? And so that leads to a greater responsibility and accountability because I don't have to just say I'm sorry to my sky daddy. And I don't have to apologize for you because my God already forgave me. So why should I come to you and ask for forgiveness? No, there's no scientific evidence whatsoever that states that you know the more um, religious you are, the, the the greater the morality. I mean, I mean, let's look at it. look at the Inquisitions, look at you know yeah. the Crusades. Um, it's, it's just not true. And I question sometimes if a person thinks. Religion makes them moral. I'm kind of almost on the fence of like, you know what? Keep then keep believing, <laughs> keep believing in it. Because if this is the only thing that's stopping you from yeah. killing me, right, <laughs> right, right, like keep then then keep it, keep, keep the delusion, keep it, right. Yeah. But now I,
1: I think I, it's clinical at that point. <laughs> yeah, you start to view that person differently because you're like, really, the only motivation you have for being a decent human being is your belief system most of the world doesn't operate that way you're an outlier but then like to go back like to the affinist mission thing it's not an outlier in the u.s because the assumption is that every person you come across is religious in some form or fashion fashion so then when they hear that you're an atheist or a humanist or you know if you just don't aren't religious at all there's like this wonderment like really like you don't believe in god and then it always you don't
0: degener- believe in anything
1: yeah it doesn't yeah you don't believe in anything and it degenerates. generates well how do we all get here you know and just like a lot of stupid questions I don't believe
0: in germs <laughs> yeah.
1: and then when you look at the basis of morality be- we just did an episode about morality which we talked about this at length like the idea that morality comes from religion like you said there's no historical basis for that morality was here first amongst communities and then religion grew out of that when they codified their moral precepts and tried to levy them on the community.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. There's a a magazine, uh, nature. It's kind of like the, the, the premier kind of like scientific litmus. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically in there, it was stating, this was kind of like a few years ago that civilizations occur moral first. Here's the interesting, here's what gets interesting. When a civilization reaches about a million people, somehow religion creeps in.
0: Mm.
2: Isn't that interesting? Civilizations possess morality before religion comes in. Yeah.
0: Right. right.
2: So it kind of leads you to us to think, oh, you know what? Maybe Marx was right. You know, religion is the opiate of the people, mm. right? It's a thing of control. Um, and to your point about people being astonished that I'm an atheist, try that in the black community. Yeah. 80% of black people in America.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. 80%. Yeah, that's
0: that's a lot. So,
1: yeah, this was definitely on our list to talk about too, like the idea of Christianity and racism and how they have held hands for centuries. I don't know. Talk about that from your perspective because racism is one of those things that now is like, it's a buzzword. And I guess it has been for a while. As soon as you bring up race, people say, oh, why is it always got to be about race? Well, who's <laughs> flash fucker? It's about race. Like, I mean, that's how it Everything. is. Like, Yeah, I mean, and, and I think people like They want to dismiss the topic because if you're white, well, it hasn't been about race. And the only thing you've heard about race is, well, it doesn't affect you because you're white, you know, which is the very definition of white privilege, you know, and no one seems to get that. So like as a black man, as an atheist, as a humanist, like how do you view that unholy marriage of Christianity and black culture? Like, and how do you work to change that? Here's the thing.
2: I, you know, I get it right. Um, a lot of black folks have this have this perspective of, you know, how Christianity has always existed in Africa and they love to go back to, you know, the whole aspect of the Coptic church. Right. You know, the oldest Christian churches in Ethiopia. Right. That's that's the true Christianity. And I'm like, yeah, but do you know that was like between like the first and second century? <laughs> do you know what the Ethiopians believed in before that? Do you know who introduced Christianity into Ethiopia? However, it always sounds very interesting because 99% of black people in America come from West Africa. And West Africa was not introduced introduced to Christianity until the 15th century when the Portuguese came mm. and they wanted to do business with King and mm. King and wanted access. To the European trade. And so then he made, you know, uh in West Central Africa, he made that the official religion. But there was kind of like an internal war when he did it because, you know, Africans have their own ATRs, they had their own African traditional religions, right? Europa um has been around between eight to nine thousand years. Okay. That's longer than Christianity and Judaism combined. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Akan philosophy, right? And so we weren't even exposed to Christianity until the 15th century. And then, you know, you had the Maafa, right? Swahili for the Black, you know, the Black Holocaust, the transatlantic slave trade. And the Episcopalian church made an admission a few years ago. A lot of people thought that it wasn't really until about the mid 18th century that there was like this mass baptism in America that somehow uh, the former colonial masters Did not want to make the slaves Christian because we're, you know, men are created, we're all created in the image of God. But that wasn't true. They were forcibly baptized before they even left the shores of uh, West Africa.
1: Mm -hmm. And they
2: came out with this huge apology of their hand in the slave trade. And so I get it. I get the history. I get, you know, the first few generations that knew their African traditional religions. However, each generation, it gets watered down because of violence, because of the exposure to violence. And what's interesting, and, and Dr. Joy uh, DeGros, I think she's a professor at um, Portland University, um, she coined post-traumatic slave syndrome. Basically, she's saying that the fears that we've had centuries ago are epigenetic. They manifest in our DNA expression. So a person can feel anxiety and feel fear of not ever stepping foot on a plantation because it's epigenetic at this point. Mm. Right. The, the American uh, Pediatric Association labeled racism as an STD, a socially transmitted disease mm. that children literally are born with anxiety based on the trauma epigenetically through generations. And so I get it why so many black folks in America are Christian there's so many doors that used to be opened up. If you were a Christian, and I'm gonna be honest, hey, if I'm black and I believe in God, I believe in this white Jesus, that makes me white adjacent. Mm. So that makes more opportunities for me. Right. Right? It's a survival tactic. Even today, mm-hmm. yeah. I-, I have a friend who's a pastor that came out and said, listen, I'm I'm queer affirming. In December, he got phone calls saying usually his itinerary used to be filled a year ahead of time. He doesn't have one speaking engagement. They said, mm. "Yeah, we're going to go in a different direction this year, next year." Oh, mm. And that's his job. Yeah, you see. So I I understand it, but then again, it can't continue to be a crutch. It's 2023. You, you can't lean on 400 years ago.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I understand it. <laughs> But there comes a moment in time where you have to wake up and not be afraid anymore.
1: Which is easier said than done.
2: It, it, it is, but I'm glad that more, especially black women, are starting to leave the church in mass mm-hmm. and they're adopting, hey, I'm an atheist, but I appreciate, uh, especially African cosmologies, I appreciate the philosophy. I don't have to believe in their gods, right? So my thing is, hey, if you want to believe in something, at least believe in something that's a part of your ancestral lineage, <laughs> if
1: you mm-hmm. want to believe
2: in anything, I'm glad that that's happening because of the internet, you know, it's kind of like very, uh, Nietzschean of me, you know, God is dead, right? The internet, <laughs> the <laughs> the internet, internet, internet killed basically God, <laughs> killed God off, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know,
0: it's not all powerful.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, but it's, my opinion is it's going to take about what each generation is approximately what? 30 years. I think it's going to take about five more generations mm. to kind of really make a dent in the African American psyche as it relates to religion. Yeah, another five generations.
0: Um, I remember somebody that you interviewed saying that they got it worse from Black Christians after they left than White Christians. Like, are Black is the Black community harder on when their own kind of leave?
2: Absolutely, and and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be totally honest with you. It's better if you're black. To come, out that you're, to come out as gay than to say you
1: don't believe in God. Wow.
2: It's easier to come out as
1: gay than yes. to
2: say you don't believe in God. That oh, Wow.
1: Crazy. So you mentioned that generational trauma and the epigenetic thing. It, that kind of lines up. I'm reading like a book called, I don't know if you ever read this book. It's called Black Reconstruction in America by Henry Gates. It's basically like a history book. I have
2: that book and I have y- not yet
1: read it. Well, I, have to. <laughs> I just read this last night where Henry Gates is talking about Dubois and where he got the philosophy of double consciousness from. Are you familiar with that at all? I'm not. So double consciousness was based on like a French psychologist when he's talking about um, people having like almost like a two identities. And so Dubois took this and applied it to the black community saying like you had a double consciousness as an American And as a he uses the term Negro, because this is, you know, during Mm -hmm. deconstruction and you never actually developed a sense of self because you were trying to fit in in America, but also maintain your blackness. And that's -hmm. the same exact thing you're talking about. And like, yeah, you know, and then you add in the Christian piece. They preach slavery from the pulpit and use the Bible to justify it. And some of them still do like not in so many words they wouldn't say i'm pro-slavery but they're using the bible to justify bigotry and racism and sexism and misogyny
0: yeah does that not bother black christians that the bible itself condones slavery or do they not realize or do they kind of rationalize it like oh that it's not that kind of slavery
2: you want to you want to hear something that's going to um it's never sit well with me and it's not gonna sit well with with you guys either A lot of Black people, they know that slavery is in the Bible, and they basically attribute the transatlantic slave trade as punishment for Africans turning away from the true God. They believe that we Africans worship demons and all of this stuff. And so God sent his wrath and enslaved us as punishment and so they believe that slavery, a lot of black people think that slavery was the best thing that ever
0: happened to us. That is so backwards. Yes. I mean,
2: yes. I mean, I mean that is
0: some mental gymnastics.
2: Yeah. It it really is. I mean, it, the whole thing of recently with with Beyonce You know, Black Parade song. And, you know, she was talking about Yoruba and the Orishas, which are like beautiful gods and goddesses of like nature. And they're telling her, oh my goodness, she's summoning demons. Mm -hmm. Boycott her music. She's not a woman of God. And it's like, how deep is that indoctrination where you will adopt something foreign to you and discard? something that is of your ancestral lineage. How clinical is that? That exudes such self-hatred, self-loathing. And like what you were saying, it's the identity. We, we don't even know who we are. Black people don't even know who we are because we had to assimilate. It would have been better off in slavery if we were put in another country and just left to fend for ourselves. At least then we could have created A national identity for ourselves. Right. Instead of having to forcibly be assimilated and take the belief of a foreign ideology that again only came to West Africa in the 15th century.
0: Yeah. And on on top of that, having slavery, like physical labor forced on you and also sex forced on you. Right. With
1: With the masters. You know, slave
0: owners. And yeah.
1: Well, and then all the things that you would have to do as a slave just to survive. That we're basically betraying who you are, who you were as a black person to just avoid being killed by your master because you were just viewed as property. So they're every day pushing their own self down just. For the possibility of of living a life that is just pure shit there's no like softening the the slavery life a lot a lot of people will try to say oh well, slavery in america wasn't really all that bad it was like indentured <laughs> servitude <laughs> and yada yada and they try to say Who chattel, says that chattel slavery and you know but the real stories if you read any of the real stories like it was not they weren't part of the family. I mean, you've seen some of. The, I mean, even some of the founding fathers wrote in some of these documents saying, "Oh, you know, my slaves are part of the family." Like, no, they weren't. Like, you treated them like property, and then you raped their the women. You know, you did all kinds of stuff to oppress them. And then when they got their freedom, you still didn't give it to them. They still don't exactly. have it. Like four hundred years later, they still don't have it. You still don't have it. And then they wonder why the shit goes down when George Floyd gets murdered or when George Floyd seems like ancient history now, because this shit happens every fucking day. I I mean, I'm pissed off about it and I'm freaking white. (laughs) Like, I mean, I could, I could get heated about this shit and people are like, what do you care? You're a white guy, you know, but that part, I mean, this kind of goes back to the humanism thing. Like if that kind of shit doesn't make you mad and your religion props up the idea of, murdering people the police murdering people or whatever that's not the higher moral ground
0: i have a theory about this that you probably don't know this but i was raised christian but i was like never never really bought into it but i my observations were that people who believed in god believed that god had a plan and that i am this person because he you know i'm a white female because that's how he planned it to be <laughs> and you're a black male because that's who he planned you to be and he planned all of us to have this life and if god wanted george floyd to you know be killed in that manner then that was his plan and there's nothing i can do about it but when you're a humanist you have more empathy because you realize that you could have been born anyone i could have been born in the slums i could have been born in india i could have been born anywhere like literally at any time anywhere and with that perspective we should care about the well-being of every single person as if they were ourselves
2: no, I, I mean absolutely. I mean, it gives you a sense of accountability when yeah. you're a human, humanist, right? Like you you want to do something because you know nothing is going to get done unless we collectively come together and do it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we it's can't not sit around change and wait. prayers. No, we we can't we can't sit around and wait, you know, and, and that's what's so frustrating with you know with with the black church because you know, um, you know, I, I have my own theories even about you know, Dr. King, you know, the Black church was very, very powerful. You know, when you're talking about like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, if you wanted to get something politically done, you had to go through the Black church to do it. But reading King's uh, thesis online, Dr. King didn't believe a whole lot of what Black Christians believe today. Martin Luther King did not believe in the divinity of Jesus. He did not believe in the resurrection. He did not believe in the virgin birth. He did not believe in the Immaculate Conception. Hmm. I have a theory that Dr. King might have been a humanist. (laughs) Yeah. However, he knew that being a humanist, he couldn't get anything done. Right. And so he had to use the the black church in order to catapult his promotions of civil rights.
1: That's that double consciousness again. (laughs) See? Uh, Yeah. Different double consciousness, but like he had to use... I mean, it was survival in that case, too, for the cause.
0: That's fascinating.
2: Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and I'm so frustrated with the black church because, again, it's like, you know, God, 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 God has a plan. You know, I know we're getting killed, but God <laughs> has a plan. And it's infuriating to me, you know, mm-hmm. and white Christian nationalism. I mean, OK, but let's talk about white Christian nationalist ideologies in black churches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like the whole saying goes, you know, not all, not all, you no, know, not all skin folk or kin folk, just because you look like me doesn't mean you have my best interests. Right. And and that's why, and that's what the beautiful thing about human is because I'm for ideals. I don't care if you're black, white, green, orange, or purple. If we share the same ideals, we can move earth.
1: Yeah. It's similar to what we had uh Bart Campolo on a few episodes ago. And he was talking about when he was the humanist chaplain at USC, when people approached him about being in the group, they asked, well, what do I have to believe? And he said, I don't give a shit what you believe. It's what you're going to do. Like, do we have the same goals? Are we the same type of person? Are we trying to accomplish the same thing? And so that's kind of where I look at humanism as like, it's really the ultimate expression of, of goodness. Like if you really think about it, being concerned about your fellow man, that's what you should be doing anyway. Like, I mean, evolutionarily, that's <laughs> what you should be doing. And if you are an, a supposed Christian, you shouldn't need the mandate of a deity to tell you to love your neighbor as yourself, you know, which is obviously a philosophy that has been in every culture since the beginning of people groups. That culture has been there. Like, let me treat the person next to me the same way I want to be treated. It's kind of common sense. It's that's not biblical. And if you're not living that way, what are you doing? Like what good are you bringing? What are you bringing to the table? You're not bringing nothing. <laughs> you know.
2: No. They are being they they're being opportunists, you know. I think it's something like you said earlier. If the only reason why you're being good is because you're you're kind of seeking, you know, a reward in the great by and by, I mean that kind of makes you a shitty person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if the afterlife is the motivation, you can see how that translates in how christians view the world today well we don't care about climate change because we're going to heaven new heaven new earth who gives a shit about climate change well we don't care about race relations because oh we're all going to be the same when we get to heaven and it's going to be one big asbury revival for all of eternity
0: with the measles and everything
1: correct with the measles probably (laughs) there's no vaccines in heaven either so you know i don't know but you see how that plays out in your everyday life when you when the afterlife is your motivation for everything and that's the kind of thing you don't see when you're in because it feels so noble to think about heaven and you know the afterlife being the ultimate goal but you don't realize the 70 80 90 years around the earth you're not accomplishing anything for what's here
2: right i mean that that's a that's a that's the old adage of the slave narrative right You know what? Don't don't worry about what happens to you. You know, don't worry if I auctioned auctioned off your children. Hey, this this life is going to be over soon. Right. You want to have heaven always. Right. And it kind of leads to the whole Napoleon quotation. Right. You know, um, you know, religion keeps the poor from murdering the rich.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's a means of control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a hell
1: of a coping mechanism, too. Because if you're getting beat every day or, you know, whatever abuse you're enduring and you're just always looking to the future of heaven, well, you can suspend all of that mentally and just say, well, none of that matters because I'm going to have a glorified body and this isn't going to matter.
2: Right. You know, it's the whole notion of some people can be so spiritual that they're no earthly good to anyone around them.
0: So we've asked this question to um, a few people that we've interviewed, and I'm curious what your perspective is. So You're a humanist, and you're not really in the business of deconverting people, I'm assuming. Right. But do you think there's any value to religion at all in people's lives, or is everybody better off deconverted? I mean, oh, this person's happy as a Christian and, you know, whatever. It's not They're not causing any harm, but that they have children, and then they indoctrinate those children. And to me and Phil, anyway, indoctrination of children is child abuse. That's how we see it. How do you see that? Like, how do you balance those two things of like, just let them be happy, let them be, you know, everybody is entitled to their own beliefs and, you know, versus the harm that it actually does people and society and their children.
2: I think the world would be much better without religion at all. And I agree with you. I look at it as child abuse Mm -hmm. and it's just not about religion, right? I'm not here to audit or police people's beliefs. Hey, people can believe what they want to believe. However, it's more of a psychological component for me. Growing up, when I hear someone that has put, let's say, hours, hundreds, thousands of hours to um, you know, get their doctorate, get their PhD, and for someone to, to say, Man, you know what? Look at look at what God did in your life. You know God did that for you, right? <laughs> Whoa. So you're just going to just, you're going to just just sidestep what I did. Right. Right? An athlete that's put thousands of hours in blood, sweat, and tears to 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 accomplish a goal, and you tell them, you you know where you got your athletic ability from, right? You know that was nothing but God, right? Right. What does that do to the self-esteem of a person? That lets you know. That you are nothing. If you don't worship something, then you are nothing. Yeah. What does that do to the psyche of a person? I'm livid by that.
1: Mm. And
2: and and it's all encapsulated in language, right? You know, um, I made a video about this, about like, you know, all of this, well, you know, this this whole flow deconstruction, and then people say, Well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual.
0: <laughs> what does that mean?
2: What does spiritual really mean, right? I mean, that doesn't, you know, doesn't the word spirit comes from the Latin word spiritus, which means breath? I mean, like, what are you saying? Are you breathy? Are you airy? Like, what does like, right, like what breathy? does spirituality mean? Or, hey, I, I, you know, I don't believe in God anymore. I believe in the universe. the universe. I ask the universe for it. Well, isn't that a location? Like, 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 you might as well say, I'm gonna ask
1: Maryland for it. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna ask Virginia for it. Right? I mean, like, ask Alpha Centauri for it. Like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, you know, and, and, and it's not that I'm poking fun or I'm, I'm being like, you know, like, like this, you know, belief police, but language, it influences our behaviors and our thought processes. Religious language says to you, you're not shit without God, right? There's something in us, right, that feels that we can't look, you know, what was it, Douglas Adams, right, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, when he said, you know, isn't it enough to, to look at a garden as beautiful Without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too, right? Why why can't I look at a bird and say, "Oh my goodness, look how magnificent the bird!" Why do I have to say, "Oh my goodness, look at the divine essence that is exuberating through the"? Why do I have to add this? Why can't I look at nature for what she is? Right, Mm -hmm. and it's because there's something in us that indoctrination has done that makes us believe to be human is not enough. I have to layer myself with metaphysical language, Mm -hmm. with spiritual connotations. I have to layer myself because deep down inside, I don't feel adequate. You may not think that I'm interesting enough. You may not think that I'm beautiful or handsome enough or creative enough or edgy enough. So I have to create this level of mysticism around me so that you can think that I'm interesting because I feel inadequate. Right. And so I think so many people need to go in the bathroom, strip naked, whether it's literally <laughs> figuratively and prostrate themselves in the mirror and say, how do I feel? Why do I believe this? And answer yourself raw and truthful, even if you don't like the answer that you provided yourself, because that's what the church has done. It has made us believe that we are nothing, nothing without believing in something. I have chills.
1: I know. <laughs> Damn.
0: He's like a preacher, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just... but you're like the anti preacher.
1: <laughs> yeah. The whole idea of the, like I used to struggle like post deconstruction. Mine was very slow. You know, and I did the progressive Christianity thing for a while. And then when I was coming out of that, I was like doing the same thing. Like, Oh, the universe I'm re- I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. And now I come to the point where like, there's an immense freedom in not having to assign any other value to the experiences of life. Like you were saying, you look at nature, you see a flower, you see whatever you're like in awe of it for what it is. God, nothing pisses me off more when someone takes a picture of a fucking flower and they have to say i can't believe the design that went to this from the creator blah 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 or it's
0: so beautiful it must be from god right it's like no that is but not that is bullshit take a picture of something ugly in nature right. and then ask if that's from god like- yeah it drives me freaking nuts it yeah.
2: really does i mean even when i walk i'm cognizant of ants Mm-hmm. I'm astonished that ants can live between 50 to a hundred times their body weight. Right. And mm-hmm. just to be in awe, like I, I'm careful of, Oh, let me not stay, let me not step on these ants. You know, why, why assign any divinity at all to anything? But it comes from the fact that we've been groomed to think mm-hmm. we're not shit. Right. If we don't worship a deity, that's what it boils down to, to answer the question about, you know, do I think you know the world would be better without religion? Absolutely, and and I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, there's this thing going around. You know, and I'm not gonna. And, and I want you guys to help me with this too, right? Um, there's this thing going around that Christians are are trying to adopt the humanist label, Christian humanism, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they know that the Christian Titanic is sinking. Mm. Isn't
0: that what he gets us is doing?
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, hey, we we love people, yeah. too. Well, if you love people, then then keep the Christian label.
0: Yeah. Why
2: are you adopting humanism?
1: Right. You shouldn't have to rebrand. See, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And
2: I'm not going to allow them to bastardize Mm-mm. humanism. I'm not going to Mm-mm. allow them to do it. You're a Christian. I want you to stay on that ship. And like
1: a good captain, I want you to go down, with,
2: down the with the ship. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to go down with it because at least I can respect. you. I can right.
1: respect it. Yeah, you're not trying to bail out at the last minute like in Titanic, where he's like taking the lifeboat from the women and children, and then sitting in there, <laughs> sitting in there oh, like that's this, a going heck
2: of an analogy.
1: Yeah, you know, because that's what they're doing. Like the, the whole "He gets us" campaign, they're trying to rebrand Jesus. But what's funny is the organization that's putting that on don't believe in the Jesus that they're presenting in the mm-hmm. video. Like that's not the Jesus that they believe in. So they're trying to like hoodwink people to get them in the door. And then they're going to be like, oh, by the way, we didn't really mean that it's okay if you're gay or that you're Muslim or that you're <laughs> at the other side of the political aisle or whatever. That shit's not okay. We just said that to get you in the door, but Hey, we got heaven.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and don't, Oh, that's another rabbit hole, you know, because again, it's this, You know, I think Sam Harris even uh, spoke about this, how, like, you know, uh, the doors of the church have never opened from the inside out. It's always been secularism. It's always been humanism that has always blasted the doors of the church from the outside in, right? Uh, Christianity has never policed itself, Mm, right? It's because of the pressure, the constant pressure of secularism, right, that the church has even progressed to the point it has now. Yeah. You know, so to go down the rabbit hole of saying, okay, now you want to talk about, Jesus. Well, you really think he existed the way you thought he existed? <laughs> if at all? Oh now that's a whole that's that's a that's Pandora's box. Yeah. It's it's just I, I I like to see the um it's interesting to see the progression of how Christianity has attempted to remain relevant. You know, back in the day people were very prideful of belonging to the denomination that they were in. Oh, I'm a Methodist, mm. oh I'm an Episcopal, I'm a Pentecostal. Then it went from there to you know, I, I I'm not a denomination. I just have a personal yeah. relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Then it went from mm-hmm. that to I'm spiritual. Mm-hmm. Now it yep. goes to I follow the teachings of Jesus. Right. It's like a virus. Any virus worth its grain of salt will morph itself and hide in healthy arteries, right? Healthy cells, right? To survive. Mm-hmm. And Christianity is a very formidable opponent. It really is.
0: It's like adapting.
1: Yeah, to use that virus analogy, it's getting to the point now where you have to do this he gets us thing because the virus is starting to consume the host. Yes. It's killing itself off. And so they're like, oh, shit. Oh, interesting. <sighs> we took this too far. So now we got to backpedal and it drives me nuts. Like, I have a lot of Christian friends still. And thankfully, like, it's been really amazing to see a lot of people that I went to Christian high school and college with. Are deconstructing and deconverting but a lot of the quote-unquote tolerable christians that i have in my life they always want to come back to the well let's focus on jesus okay <laughs> and like you said like you said okay would well, you really want to go down that rabbit hole because i don't think you're prepared for what you're going to find when you yeah. go looking for the historical jesus because if you really want to look for the historical jesus He's not who you believe in. No. That is all legend and myth that was created hundreds of years after he walked the planet. If he even walked the planet in the form that you say he did. Yeah. That's a box. Like you said, people they're like, oh shit, put that back in the box. Like
0: put that back in the box.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And and it's so deep now. I asked someone this. I said to them, and it was a pastor, I said to them, if you ever found out that the historical Jesus that you believed existed didn't exist would you still remain a christian and do you know he said absolutely i still believe a christian that's how deep and big this virus has become now jesus could be tomorrow it could come out in breaking news jesus never existed that's right. okay i believe in the concepts of christianity right. i believe whoa yeah
1: yeah i mean you've we've seen this in interviews and, and on some like forums people, they just dismiss the stuff that is inconvenient and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter if that's not true in the Bible. I still believe in the, like you said, the values or whatever.
0: You don't need Jesus to have those values.
1: Yeah, you don't need Jesus to have those values. And then it's really interesting to see people then double down. But look at what the Bible said. Even Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, then we're, of all people, most miserable. So if you could demonstrably prove that the resurrection didn't happen. Your own apostle Paul said, well, you're a miserable fuck, but these guys are still <laughs> going to hang on. They're going to hang on to it, even if it's not true. And they always say, well, I'm out seeking truth. No, you're not. You're seeking confirmation of your own bias. Like that's it. That's all you want.
0: <laughs> I'm just curious that pastor Fun you mentioned, is that the one that you interviewed and it got cut off early? I think I was on TikTok. Oh uh, no, it was a different one. It was a different yeah, one. It okay. was a different one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I uh, and I'm still not able to recover that uh, that video. Yeah. And,
0: I wish I could see that.
2: Uh, and, and the people that reported him. So it's not like, see, again, we can't, in this instance, I can't say, can't talk about, oh, white folks didn't want to see Mm-mm. two Black men come together with some, you know, commonality. Nope. It was his own Black
0: mm-hmm.
2: church folks that reported yes. that video. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Right. Yeah, we should have provided context, but he was doing um, like an interview with a black pastor friend on TikTok and it got okay. cut off halfway through because people were reporting it. And it turns out that it was his own pastor friend's congregation. It
1: was like a live
0: stream. It was yeah, a live, was a live stream, stream
2: on TikTok and it got canceled and I'm not, and it was
1: so good. Oh, it was getting good and I can't even retrieve it.
0: I was really looking forward to hearing it.
1: But but Christians are the ones that are always upset about cancel culture. As soon as someone says that they have to live like a human being, they're like, "Oh, we're being canceled." But they're always the ones that are canceling everything. <laughs> Absolutely, you can't have Rihanna in the freaking Super Bowl. We gotta cancel her. Beyonce, cancel. You know, <laughs> it's such a double standard. Like
2: it is. And 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 Phil, the thing about it, I I think the real coveted reason why people really don't want to let go of this Christianity because it will expose their accountability. Mm. So for instance, someone asked me years ago, Robert, will, will the world be a better place? So I'm gonna kind of revisit, will it be a better place if religion didn't exist? My reply was, better, hmm, that's subjective. Mm-hmm. I would say the world would be a much more transparent place without religion because now you can't hide behind the veil of religion and utilize your bigotry to justify it. Right. If you're racist, if you're homophobic, you can't lean on the Bible anymore. You can't lean on the church. You just have to say, hey, I just don't like gay people. Right. <laughs> and yeah. guess what? That's too oh, that that's too transparent. Like nobody, right. but as long as you can kind of lean on, hey, you know what? That's that's what the church said. that's how it was raised up, and that's what God says in his word, and I'm just abiding by it. Mm-hmm. See, that's the yeah. real reason. Yeah, it's the transparency
0: kind of why the Bible is so dangerous, like whatever view you have, you can find something in the Bible to justify it and say, oh, it's not from me. It's from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Like when we're talking about the whole Abraham thing, right? I mean, here and I mean, yeah. and I love the writings of of, of Soren Kierkegaard, right? But that whole thing, you know, that Kierkegaard, you know, that teleological suspension of the ethical, you know, what I mean, Kierkegaard's uh, philosophical wrestling that, oh, well, well, God suspended his own ethics. To to, to allow Abraham, like, the mental gymnastics that you have to do to justify
1: what
2: God was asking this man to do and saying that God suspended his own? Right. It's clinical at this point. That's yeah. insane.
1: Or or they just say it's because God is so much holier than we are that we can't understand what he was thinking about when he asked Abraham to do that because that's way above our pay grade. Or, you know, when <laughs> when he flooded the whole earth and killed everybody except eight people. Well, that's because of his holiness. Like, but if serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer wants to go out and kill and eat a bunch of people and say his holiness is the reason why that shit ain't going to fly. He's going to wind up in the chair, you know, like, but God gets away with it because, you know,
0: because might makes right.
1: You have a campaign going about the dangers of theocracy and how it affects different people groups, especially women. So what dangers do you see in our country of progressing towards a theocracy, which it seems like people want to create, and then what people groups are going to be more adversely affected by that than others? Like, what are your thoughts about That's kind of a loaded question, but. No,
2: absolutely. Um, yeah. So I originally started uh, the Her Story campaign, and, and I want to definitely pick that up this year again, um, because religion is so, Christianity in this country is so, there's such a patriarchal hierarchy to it. And, you know, when you look in the Bible, I mean, women were just property. Um, they, They didn't even know, you know, women had reproductive organs. They believed that, you know, the entirety of a human being was basically within the sperma of man. And basically women should have just been so grateful that men would you know inject their semen in them to have this child. And it's going to affect women. I mean I mean look at the reversal of Roe v Wade, the the taking of the bodily autonomy of women, that's who it's going to affect. And they know this because women, this is how you check the barometer of a religion. You check it. By the participation of women, if women were to enact an exodus in mass out of the church doors, Christian nationalism would be depleted immediately. Mm -hmm. That's how powerful women are. And so in parenting, the child usually takes up the belief of the mother, Mm -hmm. not the father. Right. And it makes sense because the mother is the first teacher of the child. So whatever the mother believes, the child is going to believe as well. That's why there's such an attack on women and utilizing societal religiosity to do it, because they understand the power that women have.
1: A free thinking society
2: begins with women.
1: Well, look at how that's happening in Muslim countries in the Middle East now. Look at in Iran and Iraq. They're a theocracy. That's a literal theocracy that, of course, Christians over here would say is extreme. Oh, they're trying to do the same shit here. They're just doing it with a different hat on. Exactly. They're they're, they're trying to create an ad Woody and dystopia here. It's going to be a sheer handmaid's tale here. Yep.
2: (laughs) And the thing about it, and and, and here's where, 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 where Christianity becomes so insidious psychologically, is that, you know, we always think of sexism and misogyny coming from men. But women who are fundamentalists in their Christianity women can be the greatest proponents mm. of misogyny and sexism. That's why they're trying to keep the pews filled with women. I mean, women run churches, right? Right? <laughs> women are the ones that keep churches afloat.
0: Yeah. They're
2: the ones keeping the seeking ship afloat. And for me, women are the key. I think someone said years ago, um, the place for women have always been on the front lines of a revolution. And then what happens is, Men sit back and say, Oh, okay, well, I guess it's time for us to, to kind of help, huh guys? Yeah. <laughs> the women are out there first, right? Women have always been revolutionary. Yeah. That's why that's why I started the her the her story campaign to just give diverse faces of of different women that you know, to 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 kind of give voice to their perspective that you know what, yeah, we're not down with this theocracy, we're not down with this patri- patriarchal hierarchy that that Christianity has to offer. We're, we're we're done with this now.
1: Well, and what do you think it would take to get American women to flip? How do we get organized? How is this happening in other countries, and what would it take here for women to kind of? grab that bull by the horns and be like, we're not taking this shit anymore. And what would that look like? (laughs) Like
2: I give an example. Uh, So out here in Arizona, there's a there's a huge Mormon population out here, especially in Gilbert, Arizona. That's where the main uh, Mormon temple is. And you see so many women um, stay at home moms that are 100 percent dependent on their husbands even in the black community, women, and and I think it doesn't really, I don't think it really matters the ethnicity. Um, I think to a certain level, women may feel that they still need that lifeline with the agency of men. Mm -hmm. And so what they'll do is they'll stay in situations that they might not even agree with, but out of sheer survival tactics, They'll stay, and something has to shift. It has to almost be like, like a second Independence Day in America, right? Uh, and it's happening, um, but it's not happening fast enough. And specifically for white women, and just dis- and just your average, you know, poor I me, mean, because there's no middle class anymore. There's poor, and then there's ultra wealthy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> right? Like the middle class is gone. So check this out. If one day white women woke up and said, wait a minute, we're the new slaves now. By the patriarchal hierarchy of these Christian nationalist white men, we've traded places now with Black, we're the slaves.
0: Hmm. That
2: will catapult rage and immediate impact. Yeah, It hasn't happened yet, right? Just like with inflation, right? I can I can go to a store and there's a bag of chips that costs four dollars and ninety cents, and you already know that the bag is only a quarter of the way filled, right? Almost five dollars. So, but because people still have the ability to kind of do what they want, uh, doesn't affect me at that level yet. Mm-hmm. But when it does, that's when people move, right? And so that's what we saw with the you know with the reversal of Roe v Wade or the 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 attempt. To totally ban abortion women came out in droves right and that's what it's going to take unfortunately education frederick Douglass even mentioned this you know that education isn't enough unfortunately mm. you can right. educate someone to the cows come home you can philosophize with someone to the cows come home but unfortunately it's going to have to take something to knock on your front door for anyone to move
1: right and that's how it is like it seems like with anything until the pain actually comes and affects you personally, then all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, I need to do something. I mean, it reminds me of that. I think this was in reference to the Holocaust, you know, like when they came for this person, I didn't do anything because it was out there when they came for my neighbor then I was like oh shit but then when they came for me it was too late. too late if we don't empower women and people that are on the margins I'm not saying women are on the margins but like you were saying in the patriarchal system no one would admit this but they're viewed as below no even no <laughs> Christian would say oh no we don't view women some might as as less they're equal they're equal you know blah, blah blah except for they can't teach they can't preach except for Sunday school they can work in the nursery and they can lead you know the choir but they can't be in the pulpit
2: absolutely and it takes a very weak feeble-minded man to try to what they call try to keep a woman in her place it's like they're so weak they're so weak even some people that i know have said you know what yeah i can't i can't date a woman that makes more money than me mm. i won't do it why yeah. Because she's going to think that she's in the driver's seat. Right. You know, I can't do it. I'm like, even if she loves you, <laughs> she's in the driver's seat anyway. <laughs> right. So, so think of how think of how jacked up that is. Right. Yeah. Like that, in other words, you only want a woman that you know has to be dependent on you. Right. So you don't want to date a woman that doesn't need you financially, mm-hmm. but wants you. Right. That's a weak. Man, I want a woman that wants me, that doesn't need anything from me. Right. That wants me. She she literally just wants me for me. <laughs> yeah,
1: she's there by her own choice.
2: You gotta be secure in your spot as a man mm-hmm. to, to, to walk that path.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. This whole issue is one of the first things that I remember thinking about as a child, about you know, these verses in the Bible and how women were treated at church and we weren't allowed to be pastors and we weren't allowed to have all these church offices and I remember thinking as a kid, this doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I have a brother and a sister and my parents were pretty good with us. They didn't treat us all that differently, but there were undertones of different expectations for the two of us. Just mm. simple things like my mom would try to teach me how to cook, even though I had zero interest. And I would say like, <laughs> well, why don't you teach my brother, too? You know, and she give mm-hmm. me this look like, don't be ridiculous. Right. She just scoffed at me. Yeah, You know, and I remember those things so clearly thinking this isn't right. Is this really how God intended it to be? That was one of the first cracks for me. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just there is no ideology that can be true that also treats women like this or, you know, any group of people to be beneath another group. It can't be true.
2: Right. My grandmother told me years ago, you know, my grandmother was a heck of a feminist. And she said, you know, it's the old adage of boys are taught morals girls are taught manners, Mm. cook clean set the table properly right Mm -hmm. it's all about manners yeah you know those are the things that a lot of men think you know their projection of women it's like you know and i just have to say it the way i have to say it it's like you know feed me fuck me shut up until i talk to you (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would be the heaven of a lot of men
1: yeah well I think when you think about this you know drive for equity and equality it it's the women that have the power but because in our society men have the power it has to be us that actually empower the women like we have to do it because we have the actual cultural cachet to do it right. we have to be the ones to stand up for women not because they need it but because we have the ability to support them and give and give them the voice like because it's it's just like being the voice for any person that doesn't have a voice that's your responsibility and obligation as a human being to be a voice for the voiceless to reach those people on the margins and bring them in from the margins so they're in the mainstream like that's what we have to do as men and Truly, like as humanists, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really why humanism is, like we said earlier, it's really the pinnacle of existence. Like, that's what you should be doing as a decent human being. And you don't need God to do that.
2: Yeah, you, you hit the hammer on the nail. I mean, there was a video uh, uh, of, uh, of, a, of a police officer and a, and a black guy who they thought had a weapon. And they all had guns, like, they were about to shoot. Mm-hmm. And it was this white man that came out and said, do you want me to walk over there with you? Mm. Do you want me to come over there? And he literally stood in front of all, all these white officers with guns drawn.
1: Yeah, mm. I think I saw that video. He knew,
2: right. Kind of like what you're saying. Right. Like empowerment because he knew, OK, you know what? I have to utilize my white male privilege because I know they're not going to shoot me. Right. Mm-hmm. I have to utilize my privilege in order to save this life. Yeah. And that that right there was an act of humanism. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: That's humanism 10.0. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And that's the kind of things that like white people need to do. And again, there's this whole thing like then you get like this ego thing of where a woman or maybe a black person say, well, I don't need your help. It's not because you need the help. It's because we have the ability to help and we're doing it because we want to. You know, it's, yeah. I saw another a cop video actually of a like some white drunk college kid that got pulled over. And the headline of this video was kid juggles to get out of DUI. And I'm watching the video. You know, it's on the body cam of this white kid who gets pulled over. He's talking real friendly to the officers, went into the backseat of his car with the officers there and pulled out juggling b- pins. And I'm like, if that would have been a black yeah. dude that went into the backseat of his car to be, be like, no, ground. no, uh, look, I was just coming from this. Let me show you. I'm not drunk by juggling. His ass would have been dead on the pavement. But these fucking cops watch this guy juggle for five minutes. They're laughing and joking and blah, 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 blah. How much you want to bet that kid was drunk as a skunk? And they knew it. And they knew it. He probably juggles better when he's drunk. And I <laughs> commented on this saying, oh, must be nice to be a white drunk kid you know and like a lot of people were like yeah you're damn right but then there's a couple people go oh no he was being compliant really <laughs> kamir rice was being a non compliant like come on Th- there's a reason that it looks like a black person is being non compliant because they are scared to death yes. and with good reason like you can't i keep circling back to that cuz <laughs>
0: me... you look really mad yeah it gets me it gets me fucking <laughs> heated like i mean
1: i don't know But just the idea of being a decent human being, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard. You know,
0: it doesn't take that much brain effort to figure it out how to do it. just treat other people as if you were that person.
1: Right. It's not, it's not rocket
2: science. It's not that hard. It's not, it's not hard. It's only hard when you, when you conglomerated with religiosity and other ideologies and it becomes very, the lines become very skewed.
1: We really appreciate you giving us so much time um, and, you know, just talking with us. I enjoyed this conversation and
2: this is what this is all about. You know, it's it's all about ideals like we get each other, although our ethnicities may be different. It's there's only one. Right. There's only yeah. one race, the human race. Right. You know, what I mean, there's only one. And and seeing you, you know, get fired up <laughs> about about the racial, you know, inequities like <laughs> That's what we should we should see more of, you know. And, and
1: and I appreciate that. Can you tell the people how they can find you, like your social media, your sites about Affinis?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, they can find me. Uh, my website is AffinisHumanity.org. That's A F F I N I S AffinisHumanity.org. And it's a cool thing. So, how I I just want to add this little tidbit. I came up with Affinis because I was really thinking about a, a name and i always liked affinity right and i found that in etymology so basically affinity stems from the latin "affinis," which means a natural attraction to a person thing or idea and for me that natural attraction is to humanity to Hmm. be human
1: i love that your motto is to be human is enough it's a perfect crystallization of like what your life should be about it's like just be who you are and be okay with it. It it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to like fit into somebody else's mold. Just be yourself, and that's enough. Anyway, I that's cut enough. off I cut off all your links. Tell everybody you got. A fitness. Oh no no no, that's then- <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, uh, Instagram it's a it's a fitness humanity. Um, You can find me on TikTok. It's a fitness underscore humanity, um, and yeah, those those are those are the links.
1: Awesome. Yeah. We'll put those all in the show notes too for the people who might be spelling challenged, you know, since they used to, <laughs> people might not be used to typing in Latin roots. So we'll try to make it easy for them so, so they can find you and, and connect with you. So, well, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you for just giving us so much time and, and everything that you had to yeah. share. With- Thank
0: you, Robert. This has been so great. I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: I enjoyed it as well. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for, uh, for reaching out to
2: me. Yeah. Um, this was a definite pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil.
0: And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question. If your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know?
1: Be sure to join us on our Facebook group, Dangerous Questions, and follow us at FlawedTheologyPodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the podcast on Google, Spotify, Apple. Those uh, reviews are really cool and we like to hear from them. So until next time, keep asking the dangerous questions.
0: See you next time.
2: I don't get, you know, some people that are like, quote unquote, atheist celebrities and, and you know, in whole secular communities. And it's kind of like, that's just not me. You know, this whole, you know, ego trip. And it's like, man, we, we're here to share knowledge. We're here to share our stories. And that's what I'm about. You know, it's not about how many how many followers someone has, how, man, that doesn't matter. It's, it's, about, it's about a person's genuinity and what they're trying to do.